1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6. Give you some time to turn there if you'd like to. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 6. And if you've ever been to a wedding between two Christians, then this will be a passage you've heard multiple times. So I should be able to just really read it and walk off, and you should already know. Let's. Let's go ahead and read this, verses 4 through 6. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth. Now, as most of you know, we have been following what is called Advent. And this last week of Advent, what we will be looking at is love. Love. Such a muddy thing in our society now. Love. What is love? And I'd like to suggest this. Christmas is actually a holiday of love. And if you want proof, here's my argument. Watch a Hallmark movie. (laughs) All of their Christmas movies are about love. Let me try to sum this up in about a minute and a half. Let me see if I can do this. Okay, are you ready? If you were to turn on a Hallmark Christmas movie, in the first five minutes, you'll find out this. Woman has rich, successful businessman that she's in a relationship who she hopes to be married to. Woman and man have a sketchy relationship that you're just not too sure about. Woman goes home to a family and meets another man while she's home that most likely she grew up with in school. Other man is nice, but is kind of weird and annoying, and he's not successful. Woman over time falls in love with this nice man. She leaves the rich, mean man, gets married to the nice man, and lives happily ever after. And most of the time, they have this magical kiss on Christmas Eve, or Christmas at midnight. But it's not just movies either that make Christmas this loving holiday, right? There's a mood that's set. There's a lovely atmosphere of the lights, the the fireplace, the warm and cozy homes. Families fly across America to be With loved ones, selfless acts are committed to one another. Not selfish, selfless. For whatever reason, whether it's seen as it or not, Christmas really is a season of love. And so this is why here for this Advent, I thought it was appropriate to come to what is known as the love passage. 
But before we dive into the love passage, what's the context here? Because I think it's very helpful for us as we move on. Why would this passage right here help us understand or prepare us this Advent? If you don't know what Advent means, Advent just means arrival. How does this passage help us with the arrival of Christ, the Messiah? Well, here's the context. It's kind of a a bleak one. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, a church that has its problems. In fact, when we get to chapter 13, what we will see is that this passage is actually... So when you go to a wedding, you can think about it like this. This passage right here is actually more of a rebuke. Kind of strange to think about now. And this was a passage that was read at Teresa and I's wedding, right? It was. We were being rebuked. And this is why, because we see in this church a sense of arrogance, We see in this church a sense of boastfulness, a sense of selfishness. Paul is writing to this church here in Corinth to correct them because their understanding of theology was not matching up with their lifestyle of living that theology out. See, we we see this in chapter 8 when Paul is saying to them, I'm writing you concerning food offered, offered idols now, now, concerning food offered idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He's writing to a people who are boasting about their knowledge. They're kind of lording this over weaker brothers and sisters. He's writing to this church because of their selfishness. He uses this very real illustration of when one of them had a grievance against another, does he dare to go to the law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Paul is calling out this unjust way of going to authorities. Now, don't hear me say that there are things that you do go to the authorities with. That's for sure. But what Paul is saying here is that this little spat between a couple of people and they went straight to the authorities instead of working it out as brothers and sisters. He's writing to this church who is arrogant. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor against the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There's this arrogance of individualism in this church that I have no need, although I'm a member of this church. I have no need really to be a member of this church because I can do it by myself a little bit better. There is this arrogance in this church. So we see a church that is boasting in its knowledge over weaker brothers and sisters, that it's selfish in wanting what's good for themselves and only looking to their own self-interests, and this arrogance of, well, I really don't need you. And we get to chapter 13, and Paul is rebuking this church. He's rebuking them and exhorting them to love one another. He's doing this by saying there is no greater spiritual gift than love. He, he says this in 
in verses 1 and 2, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Paul is saying, if I have these things, if I speak in tongues, if I have this prophetic power of knowing what is in the mysteriousness of God, if I have faith so much as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, then I don't have anything. He's saying, I'm useless. I'm useless, Paul is saying. And so now he is saying that the greatest gift that a Christian possesses is love. So here's what I think Paul is arguing for in this passage, and here's what I'm just going to argue for this morning. is this simple truth of what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, that there is no gift that is more important than love, because when we love, we clearly display God's love. There is no gift that is more important than to love. Because when we love, we clearly display God's love. Now, you may be thinking, well, what does this passage have to do with the arrival of Jesus? How does this prepare my heart for Christmas Eve? Well, what I hope to show us here in this passage is what love is, according to Paul, and what love isn't. And then, as Sharice told me that this is a Christmas song, I just thought it was a clever book title, how this passage so shows us how love came down at Christmas. My hope is to encourage us to grow in our eagerness to come on Thursday to celebrate the arrival of our awaited Messiah. So we come to this passage, and before we get started, here's just what I want to show to us right away. It's that in these few verses, what we will see is a very common way that Paul argues. He shows the is's and the isn'ts. What do I mean by that? We will see two positives and eight negatives. We will see Paul say, this is what love is, two times, and we will see him say, this is what love isn't, eight times. So here we go. If I were to hand out pieces of paper to you all and ask you, what is love? I wonder how many of us would put the two things that came to Paul's mind first. Paul starts out here by telling us love is patient. Is that one of the first things that you think of when you think of love? That love is patient? I wonder if you would say about yourself if you are 
patient. I'm guessing that some of you, most of you, are patient, but that your patience probably runs thin at different points. This red light happens to be just a little bit too long, and the person in front of me is driving a little bit too slow. Oh, my child takes too long to get dressed. This package from Amazon is taking too long. My math class lasts forever. Christmas isn't coming fast enough. This sermon is way too long. I don't really want to talk to that person Or maybe one of the greatest tests of patience is I've been on hold forever. Uh, a couple of years ago, as I was waiting for a package, I told Sharice, I hate being a millennial. Millennials just aren't patient. And she said lovingly, Max, it's not that you're a millennial. It's just that you're impatient. But here it is. Love, according to Paul, out of all of the things that he could have said first, he says love is patient. Think of all of the things that Paul could have pulled from, and he says right from the get-go that love is patient. When you think of love, do you think of patience? We may think of love being selfless, which it is. Love being an action, which it is. We sometimes think of love being a high-charged emotion to keep away from teenagers. In our postmodern society, we think that love is love, which is just kind of ridiculous, because if you were to ever ask me to explain to you what the color blue is. I wouldn't say blue is blue. But Paul says love is patience. He's calling the Corinthian church here to patience because why? Why? Because God is patient. And we see this constantly throughout Scripture. We see God himself actually tell Moses this very truth. Patience is an attribute of God. The Lord says about himself, the Lord, the Lord, God, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. The Lord is slow to anger. He is patient with his people. He is not quick to wrath, we are told, but he is slow to anger. He's not quick to anger, but slow to anger. It's interesting how there are many people who view God, especially in the Old Testament, this God who is 
quick to wrath, this angry, old, grumpy man that's ready to strike people down in a matter of seconds. But we fail to realize that as we read the years and years and years and disobedience that passes on with his people, God is a God who is slow to anger. He is patient with his people. This is who God is. He is long-suffering with them. And Paul here is calling this church to long-suffer with one another. He is calling them to patience. Right now, at this very moment, Paul is calling us to patience with one another. He is calling us to long-suffer with one another. Not abandon, not assume the worst right away, but to be patient. He says, Paul says, right away that love is patient. Love long suffers. But that's not it. That's only the first one. Paul then goes on to say that love is patient and love is kind. I wonder, just hypothetically speaking, that if we were to have those pieces of paper and you wrote down all of the things that you thought love is, I wonder if this would be on the top too. I wonder if kindness would be on the top. If I said define what love is, I wonder how many of us would write down that love is kind. Maybe it's that we have a wrong idea in our culture of what love is. But Paul here is saying that love is patient and that love is Kind. Why? Because kindness is also an attribute of God. Paul, writing to Titus, tells him that. It was the the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior when He appeared. But I wonder if you know or have come to a conclusion of what kindness is, because we throw out that term sometimes, that person is kind, but do we ever really take time to think what kindness is? Kindness in Scripture is actually defined multiple ways. In the Old Testament, we see that kindness is being faithful to an obligation. It's doing good to another person. We see this as when Joseph is in prison, He's locked up because he was wrongly charged. He says this to the cupbearer when the cupbearer is being let free. He says to the cupbearer, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get and and so get me out of this house. It's doing good. It's it's being faithful to an obligation. So let's simplify this. I said it earlier a few times. One of the ways we look at kindness is it's doing good to a person. It's looking out for them. But kindness in the New Testament is seen like this. It's seen as being generous and gracious. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says, Be kind to one another, tender, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's simplify this and just say that this type of kindness is showing favor. So, So when doing good and showing favor collide together, we get kindness flowing out to one another. So here's what Paul is calling this church to do. 
patience and kindness. This is how you show love. Being patient and kind on the scale of spiritual gifts is the most important thing that you and I could show to one another. Long-suffering with your brothers and sisters and doing good to them and showing them favor, being kind. Friends, what Paul is motivating the Corinthians to do, what he is motivating us to do, is to be true lovers to one another. You don't have to look at a Hallmark movie to see what true love looks like. We see it right here. We are called to be patient. Are you quick to anger? Are you quick to assume the worst Are you quick to assume wrong motives with your spouse? With your kids? With your family? What about co-workers or neighbors? Or are you slow and do you long suffer and are you patient with them? Not jumping down their throat or jumping to a conclusion as soon as possible? Are you kind? Are you in it for yourself? Do you ask, what is the risk-reward to helping this person out? Do you think about it in terms of, if I scratch your back, then you'll scratch my back? Or are you looking to generously extend favor and grace? Are you looking to do good to people who maybe are hard to love? Here's my question for us, church. Church, what would it look like if we loved with this type of love towards one another? What would our church look like? Would this not be a place where deep and meaningful community happens? Where you are eager to fellowship with your brothers and sisters? Would this not be a place where you would Feel confidence to confess sins and be kept accountable? Would this not be a a place where you knew that no matter how ugly things got in your life, that the members around you would have your back and desire to see you bear fruit for God? If our love here at this church was patient and kind, What do you think would happen to us? You see, I appreciate the way that Paul argues here. Here's two positives and here's a negative. I don't know if this is just because I'm the third sibling, but I always did better watching my brother and sister mess up so that way I could learn from their mistakes. And here we see eight things not to do. Here are the things that 
we can assume that this church is doing. This is the way this church is loving. So we see the love isn't here. Love does not envy or boast. Paul is saying that love does not look at another person and say, if I just had what they had. Envy lies in the darkest places in our hearts and it comes out when we desire something that another has. So that's one side of the coin, but on the flip side, we see then Paul go on to say that love does not boast. Boasting is when you come to another person and say, look what I have. And sometimes it doesn't come across as that. Sometimes it's more subtle. Do you see the two ditches that Paul is saying this isn't love? Love is not envy, it's not boasting it's not when you have little looking at another person and saying if i just had what you have that's unloving it's also easy to when you have a lot to be unloving and say this is what i do have So if Paul is saying here, love does not envy or it doesn't boast, then what is the opposite of this? Love rejoices with others and their gains. Whether material or spiritual, love rejoices with others. Paul goes on to say the next two, um, the, the next two love isn't, is it is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. Love is not rude. Love is not when you come up to someone and say, look at me. Look at how special I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've accomplished. But on the other hand, love is not rude. It's not telling somebody to get lost. You're not worth my time. It's not giving somebody just half your attention. It's not looking to another and saying, I'm better than you. And because I'm better than you, I'm just really not in the mood to listen to what you have to say. What in the world could you possibly offer me? Love is not arrogant and it is not rude. So what's the opposite of that? Well, love aims to speak, to build a person up. It aims to listen intentionally. Love is not arrogant or rude. The next one that Paul says, which is an important one and a key one, love does not insist on its own ways. Love does not look at a person and say it's my way or the highway. Love does not bulldoze somebody into submission. Love is not like the kid who has his ball and when it's not going his way, says, I'm taking my ball and going home. Love does not insist on its own ways. Why? 
Because love looks at the interests of others and counts their interests a little more highly than their own. Paul continues to now the next two, six and seven. It is not irritable. Love that is not irritable. Love is not resentful. Love does not say, because you are in the wrong, I am going to unload everything on you that I have. Love does not say that once you have reached the limit of annoyance, now I'm going to avoid you at all costs. You got three strikes and you're out. Love does not lead to resentfulness. That is when the well of forgiveness is all dried up and leads to resentful ignoring, resentful speaking, resentful tones of conversation. That as time has gone on, you enter into my little book of how you have wronged me. And so when you wrong me again, I pull out that book and I use it against you. You see, this is, I think, a slippery slope right here that Paul is really warning us of. Because as you become irritated with a person, you start to resent them. And as you go down the slope, it gets harder and harder to forgive them of any wrongdoing. So what's the opposite here? It's long-suffering with one another. It's giving the benefit of the doubt. It's not being quick to assume wrong or evil motives. It's not just forgiving once or twice. Somebody once said it, it's keeping no record of wrong. And here is the eighth, and the eighth here has a positive at the end. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Brothers and sisters, love does not celebrate when a person is wronged. It doesn't matter what type of criminal record they've had. If they were wronged, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't make excuses. It doesn't say, well, he or she had this criminal record and had this coming. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but with the truth. How we need to watch out for this one. How we need to watch out for this one because there are plenty of people inside the church who are ready to celebrate in wrongdoing. 
We need to remember here, too, Paul is talking about church. He's not talking about the world, but he's talking about Christians who are celebrating when people are wronged. Love does not look at a person and justify wrongdoing. No, but love rejoices with the truth. Paul simply means here that love rejoices with what Christ rejoices with. This is what love rejoices with. It loves what Christ loves. Here the truth that Paul is saying is he's talking about Christ. We know this because Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the light. Do you rejoice with what Christ rejoices with? So let's ask this question. Because this could be a hard thing to ask. Let's look inwardly at our own hearts and not outwardly at other people. Because all of us could point to other people and say, they fail at this massively. And I think the better question that we need to ask ourselves is not if we're doing this, but where am I being tempted to the love isn't here? Which one of these out of eight am I being tempted to love like? Do we do this with our own body here at church? Is there somebody here who you're unwilling to love because of something that's happened in the past? Have you refused to seek reconciliation? Dads and moms, what about you? How are you with your children? What about with your spouse? What about the neighbor across the street? What about the coworker who seems to get on your nerves all the time? With these love isn'ts, what are you tempted or how are you tempted to love them? You see, the reason Paul calls out this is because this isn't love. Paul is saying love isn't this because this isn't God's love. This is a selfish love. Love is the greatest gift a Christian has, can receive, and can give. Because when we love others, we are displaying God's love. This is why Paul is calling out this church, is because what Paul is saying is that you, church, are not displaying the love of God. You are failing at this. This thing that has been shown to you, this great love that has been shown to you, you are not living this out. Instead, there's displays of selfish motives and greedy ambitions. And so Paul calls this church, he calls us this Advent, to be selfless lovers 
marked by patience and kindness. Okay, but in case you think that this is a message where we're here, I'm just going to say let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps this year and be patient and kind in our love. Here's where let's, let's kind of take a back step right here and ask the question, why is this important for this Advent? It's because love came down. Love came down. Love came down because inside ourselves, we are incapable to love as Christ has loved us. Outside of Christ, what we do are these eight love isn'ts. This is how we are naturally prone and bent to love. We are naturally prone and bent to love in a selfish manner, in a greedy manner, in a self-exalting manner. This is our sin that seeps out of us. Outside of Christ, this is how we do love. We love with selfish motives. But you ask, well, what about the selfless acts? Beneath every selfless act without Christ is a selfish motive. Well, what about romance? The same thing. Our hearts are desperately wicked and evil and deceptive. And why this passage is so important and why we should meditate on this passage, this Advent, is because Christ comes down, the Messiah comes, and is the embodiment of what love is. What we see is God being patient with a sinful people who deserve His judgment. Think about it right now, if you're still alive, which I think most of you, or at least hopefully all of you, are still alive at this point. And if you are not a believer, this is God's patience on your life. You are actually receiving a blessing from God right now. He is being patient with you right now. Just like He has been patient with all those who have come to Him And we see in Christ's birth his patience and kindness come to a fuller reality in his son, Jesus. Love came down at Christmas and showed us that there is reconciliation back to God. Love came down at Christmas and showed us that through our trust in Christ, we can receive forgiveness of our sins. Love came down at Christmas and shows us that we are able to love one another with a type of love that is impossible outside of the Spirit of God. So if you're not a believer, if you don't believe in Jesus, this is what I'd just like to ask you. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from accepting this great love? If you have any questions, I'm going to be back out the door after service, or there's multiple members here that would love to talk to you about this. If you are a Christian, this is just how I'd like to finish this message, is to encourage you. As we celebrate the arrival of Christ, 
what we are celebrating is the arrival of true and lasting love. A love that never fades. A love that never swings its pendulum from one side to the other. As I said earlier, it is a steadfast and faithful love. This is what we celebrate. Love being born. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have displayed your love for us through the coming of your son, Jesus Christ, and that Jesus has displayed his love for us on the cross, bearing your wrath and taking our sins. And I just ask this morning that if you are moving in our hearts, that you would be so kind to lead us to repentance and greater faith in you. We thank you for this great love. We thank you for your son, Jesus.